Uh, if you came in late and are visiting this morning, my name is Omar. I am the worship and evangelism pastor here at First Baptist Church Pearland. And again, David, our lead pastor, is on his way back from serving in Costa Rica, uh, training pastors to love on uh, people that the gospel would be uh, proclaimed and declared throughout. And so uh, be praying as he comes. We're thankful that he's had a, a great time uh, loving on pastors. Uh, thank you for Mike. Man, did a great job. Did a good job this morning. Mike is a great, great young man who loves the Lord and uh, thankful for his heart and his ministry. When my wife was in high school, uh, she was a really devout follower of Jesus. Um, people that knew her, even strangers, knew that Vicky loved God, uh, that Vicky loved people. And she did whatever she could to make sure that the gospel was clearly communicated. She was an evangelist. And um, there was a, a young lady that was placed on my wife's heart. And my wife began to pray for this young lady. And this young lady was raised in a, a Buddhist believing household. When you walked into her house, there was a statue of Buddha right there. And all throughout the home, there were areas of worship that the family would come together and worship Buddha. And for whatever reason, the Lord laid this young lady on Vicky's heart and Vicky began to pray. Vicky began to fall on her knees and say, God, whatever you can do, however I can help, I want to love and show this young lady the power of your resurrection, the power of your love. And Vicki would write her notes declaring of God's goodness, declaring of God's power, and how she is in need of a savior. And to make a long story short, after about a year and a half of my wife faithfully praying and, and leading and encouraging this young lady, this young lady denounced Buddha and pledged her allegiance to Jesus Christ, totally surrendered her life over to Jesus. Amen. That her life was radically changed. It was one person that the Lord laid on her heart, and she was faithful to pray. And today, this young lady grew up, went to HBU, got a degree, married a pastor, and has three or four kids now, on her, and is raising them to love and honor the Lord. Even though the family is still active in their Buddhism, she is a light where there's darkness now. And so the question is this morning, who is your one? Who is the one that God has placed on your heart, that God has led you to make a difference in, that you're earnestly praying for, that you are passionately pursuing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. You may not have that one, but I hope by the end of this morning, God will lay someone on your heart and you will have one that you are going to be pursuing. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at one man who was changed um, by Jesus. Very familiar healing. I think if you've grown up in church, you know the story full and well. But I believe there are two things that the Lord wants us to see in this passage. Is that One is missions is very important in the Christian life. And evangelism is just as important in the Christian life. And I believe Jesus makes that very clear at the end of this healing. And so we're going to just read Luke chapter 5 starting in verse 17. And it says this, one day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. 
some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Going back to the beginning of this passage, I want you to see that these four men were on a mission trip. They were on a mission to go and to place this man in front of Jesus. Now, scripture is not clear at all at the relationship between the four and this one. And as I thought about this passage this week, I'm very thankful that it's not clear. And here's why. Let's say the four are friends with this one. It would make sense knowing that the four knew Jesus was in the area, that Jesus had been healing multiple people. It would make sense that they would go and say, hey, man, you, you, you can be healed today by Jesus. And we're going to do whatever it takes to take you to him. It makes sense that these friends would love on this man and meet the need, which is missions, meeting the needs of others. But what if these four were complete strangers to this one? They might have passed by this man over time. They may have known of him but hadn't really acquainted with him or talked to him or were anything, had anything to do with him. But if they were complete strangers and, and, and that's reality... The most important thing was to see that this man receive a healing, that his need would be met. So stranger or friend alike, it doesn't matter. What Jesus, I believe, is telling us that you may have friends who are in need of being in front of Jesus. You may know of some strangers at a distance that need to see Jesus. And the mission is to take them in front of Jesus. And I'll, my question is, what is your mission as a churchgoer growing up in the church, you probably know the Great Commission. You, you can say it in your head, and you might even believe it in your heart. But is your mission, is your life goal to go and reach people for Jesus? Are you actively going after people and leading them to the foot of Jesus? I'm thankful for the, the non-clarity of the relationship because it doesn't matter what in this life we face, but that we are on mission. When God calls us on mission, when God is leading us to serve, when God is, is leading us to a place, 99.9% .9 of the time we face obstacles. All the time, when God's moving, it seems like something always happens. And for the men, in verse 19, they were carrying this man, and 
And I think it's helpful to just visualize that, right? So I've got five boys, if you're visiting, and sometimes we get home late at night, and they fall asleep in the car. And our goal is to try to keep them asleep and kind of carefully put them in their beds. We just moved into a three-bedroom, so there's seven of us in a three-bedroom home. And so we have to be creative with our space. And so we have bunk beds that uh, they sleep on top, and they have like a play area underneath and and some desks and things that they can play with. And so you can imagine um, the the two little ones aren't so bad. They're kind of light. You just put them in there. But my seven- and nine-year-old, they're a little heavier. And so... When a baby is being held or you're carrying your child and they're awake, it's easy because they wrap their legs around you, they're holding onto your arm. But when they're asleep, I mean, they're dead. I mean, their head's falling off, their arms are dangling. Like, it's, it's an act of Congress just to hold them. And then much less getting them on top of the bunk bed without slamming their head on the rail. Like, I'm going to put you in there. And then they wake up. Oh, snap. Going back in the car. Think about these men. This is not a child. This is a grown man who has no movement in his body. He cannot help in any way. And though they're four men, I'm sure that this guy was heavy. And so they're, they're carrying this man. And that might have looked awkward to those that are around because, man, what are, what are they doing with that guy? Why is he, if I were to have four men carrying a guy on the mat right now, it would look strange. Like, why are you doing that? What's the purpose? What's the point? And so they're, they're carrying him, and they get to the spot, and then there's the challenge, right? There is absolutely no room. They can't get through the doors, but these men are on mission, and they see a, a flight of stairs on the side, and that time they had clay stairs that led to the roof. And, and so I try to work out pretty faithfully, okay? Um, up until about a month ago, I'm not a big cardio person. Like, I don't do the treadmill. I don't run or do bicycling, things like that. To me, that's boring. Like, I go and I just lift weights. I push weight around. Well, I thought, hey, I probably need to be healthy. I probably need to do some kind of cardio to get my heart going. And so I decided about a month ago, I'm going to jump on the stair climber. And so I, I get myself on there. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I don't know the buttons or how to operate one. And so it's just start here. Perfect start. How long do you want to go? I said, well, I'll do 15 minutes. I can, I can do that 15 minutes. Start. And I begin walking up the stairs. And I feel like all of my body begin to start hurting. Like I can't breathe. I start sweating like it's burning my eyes. And I'm thinking, man... Hope this is like 14 and a half minutes, like I'm almost done. And I look down, it's like a minute and 49 seconds. And I'm like, I'm about to fall out. I've seen people on there for an hour, like just going nuts. And I'm like, I look at my watch, 189 beats per minute. Like I am about to die. And I don't have any weight on me. I'm just walking, trying to stay up and not fall off this machine. I had to stop at two minutes. I seriously thought I was going to die. And I think, I think about these men, like, they're on the floor, and they're thinking, we, we want to see this man come and get in front of Jesus. And there's an obstacle, like, they can't literally get to him, so they're carrying. I can just imagine, like, their thighs are on fire, and their scripture doesn't say that they dropped him multiple times, but they, they actually got him up on the roof, and, and they... Their hands are probably sore and tired from holding on, and they, they make a hole in the roof, and then they, they lower Jesus without dropping him in front of him. 
when, when God has you on mission, there are going to be obstacles. I guarantee it. But these men saw through the obstacles and said, we have to get this man to Jesus. Think about Paul's life for just a moment. What if Paul, everywhere he went, he faced obstacles? We know this, right? What if he said, ooh, I know that city. They hate me. I'm going to go to this city over here. Well, I'm going to probably get stoned. I'm probably going to get beat. I'm going to go ahead and go over here. What if Paul, his whole life, he avoided obstacles? Where God was calling, he just avoided them. Probably 85 to 90% of the New Testament would not have been written. But through the calling and the mission that God had on Paul, he was faithful. And because of his faithfulness, we have a great portion of the text. An even greater example is Jesus himself. Jesus Christ facing multiple obstacles, facing multiple opposition, being hated by many. And just for a moment, think about Jesus, and God sends him to the cross, sends him to death. Put your shoes, put yourself in his shoes. Omar, I want you to go down this path, and that path is a crucifixion, the worst you've ever seen, the worst you've ever felt. And you're going to die. God, thank you for your word. I'm going to go this way. If we're honest with ourselves, we would have avoided that confrontation. We would have probably ran the other way. But Jesus saw fit that his mission was to provide a way that we who are broken and sinners could have a right relationship. And that right relationship only happened because of a sacrifice. And that was his body being laid down, being crushed and broken. But he didn't stay dead. Scripture says he rose victoriously. Because of that, we have life. And so can I just ask you, what are the obstacles that are preventing you? You're not walking to your deathbed in a crucifixion. You're not being stoned. You're not being beaten. What are the obstacles that are preventing you from leading someone to Jesus? I think sometimes we make up our own obstacles. We're driving home, we're tired, we're exhausted, and we see our neighbor, and you know that they don't know Jesus, and you're just like, ah, oh, I'm tired, and you just, you kind of ignore them as they're, like, staring at you, and you're like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And you go through your garage, and you sit down, and you just, you become lazy. I think sometimes we, we, we make these obstacles ourselves, and for What? Isn't salvation through Jesus the greatest thing we've ever had? Isn't that, isn't that what we should be sharing with people? These men were on mission. And because they were on mission, they faced an obstacle. And it was a hard way to get this man to Jesus. But the reason they persevered was because they were extremely expectant of what would happen to this man. The reason they went through the obstacles because they had, they had it in their minds, they had it in their hearts that Jesus had the power and the authority to fix this man's physical being. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 18. And it's a man called Elijah and there's a group of people who are worshiping Baal. And they're arguing at whose God is the best, who, who has the most power, who's the, the most dominant, who has all the authority. And they make a deal. Elijah says, hey, let's make this offering. 
Let's put wood on it. Let's put this bull on it. And whoever's God is God, they're going to consume this offering with fire. The ones that worship Baal are like, hey, I think that's a good idea. Elijah said it's so, so be it. So these men over here worshiping Baal are crying out. They're dancing. They're, they're doing all these crazy things, rituals to try to get Baal to answer. Scripture says all morning long they're trying. Comes to evening time, still not a single word, not a single response. And Elijah says, it's my turn. You've had your chance. This is a paraphrase of Omar. You go back and read 1 Kings 18. Elijah falls on his knees and says, God, I know you got this. You're about to annihilate this offering in a way that only you can do it. And because I am expectant, because I know that you have the power, hey, I need four jars of water, and I want you to pour it on this offering. Yeah, just soak it in there. Build a trench around it, and hey, go fill those four jars again and put water on it again and just kind of soak it. Uh, That's not enough water. Get another four and come and soak this offering. Four times he brings four jars and soaks this offering. And he says, God, show yourself. He had placed 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes. Moment. Scripture says that fire came down. It consumed the wood, it consumed the offering. The stones disappeared. Annihilated the stones. And scripture says that the water was licked up. The water disappeared. Elijah knew of God's power, and Elijah was expecting God to do something amazing. Think about Joshua and the battle of Jericho. God says, Joshua, here's the game plan. You're going to march around the city six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to march, and you're going to blow the trumpets, and then you're going to shout as loud as you can for me. That's that's the game plan God laid out for Joshua. You know what the Bible doesn't say? It doesn't say that Joshua said, okay, God, let's talk about this for just a moment. uh, Jericho is a fortified city. Like the greatest weaponry this world's ever seen cannot destroy the walls. Like, do you know where we're going? Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, Scripture says that Joshua told the people, listen, here's the game plan. We're going to march, and on the seventh day, we're going to blow trumpets, and we're going to shout, and what's going to happen is we're going to have the victory. He was expecting God. There was no hesitation. Can I just ask you a question? When God's called you on mission and that you face obstacles, are you really expecting God to transform the people you're communicating with? Or do you talk with a hesitancy or you talk with a doubt in your mind that maybe God can't do this? We reduce God often to the size of our biggest problem. And God is so big, he's outside of those things. And we don't even give him credit. Are you living your life expecting that God has the power and the authority to heal people? To set them free from their sins? You may believe that here, but is that your life? Whenever God is leading, 
We face obstacles. But we persevere because we're expecting. And isn't it amazing that God always gives us more than what we bargained for? Always in my experience, we've asked for one thing and God has provided that thing. And, and then all of a sudden, man, it's an abundance. <laughs> oh, y'all need something to eat? Here's, here's a couple of fish and some loaves. There's 12 baskets left over. They were expecting to eat. In 2012, um, I was called to lead revival services uh, in Morris, Texas. And there was over 100 of us who were at Southwestern Seminary. And we were sent to different churches throughout the nation to preach revival. And I go to a place called Morris, Texas, small town. They don't even have a website. Like, they have a phone number and an address. Like, it is a small town, small church. And our goal was to preach, but our goal also was to go door to door and to evangelize. Well, I think that we knocked on every single door that we could and um, nothing. We didn't have any response. A lot of people were on vacation. It was spring break week and, and no one really responded. And so Wednesday, the last day that I was there, I just, I got discouraged. I was like, God, like, I know you didn't call me all the way over here to preach these five messages. Like there, there has got to be, and I was guilty. The pastor was saying, you know, sometimes us pastors think about big numbers and, and large groups. And I was thinking about, man, how many thousand people can be saved this year during Revive This Nation, during these revival services. And, and I, I, got, I told the pastor, we were about to have lunch. I said, pastor, I'm, I'm discouraged because I feel like we're, there's got to be somebody. And he said, Omar, have you prayed for the one? And I was like... You know, I haven't. I have not prayed for the one. He said, I, I, think, I think that's where we need to start before we eat. I said, man, I, I hear you. Thank you for reminding me. So I, I said, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> if I was thinking too big, will you just give me one person that I can love on? Give me one person that I can share the gospel with, that I can just, just give everything I have to them. Just give me one person. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the rest of the story is going to sound made up. But when God is in it, the unbelievable happens. When I said amen, there was a knock on the door at the pastor's house. I said, pastor, are you expecting anybody? He said, nope. I was like, God, is it really that easy? Like, I really neglected this and I, I totally missed. So we get up, we, we go to the door and... We open it, and there's a young boy, about eight, nine, ten years old. Hey, dude, what's going on? Oh, nothing. Just riding my bike around in the neighborhood. Okay. Are you okay? Do you need help? No, I'm good. Just hanging out. Pastor? <laughs> hey, we're about to eat lunch. Do you want to have lunch with us? He's like, sure, if I can. Well, come on in. I'm like, this kid shows up out of nowhere. Like, God, this is amazing. So we sit down, and I'm thankful, like, God, this is the, this is the kid. Like, he's going to give his life to Jesus, I share the gospel. I'm loving on this kid. And through the conversation, I really see that it's just, like, going way over his head. Like, he's not understanding or listening to me. Like, I'll ask him a question, and he'll say something like, oh, well, my game on my Xbox is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, we're talking about Jesus, man. Like, not a game. And so I got discouraged again. I was like, God, I thought this was the one. Like, this was the one I was supposed to lead. And. A few minutes later, he said, hey, my brother, I think my brother would really like you. I was like, hey, you have a brother? Is he older? Is he younger? He's like, oh, he's older. Um, he's, he's 14. Awesome. 
hey, dude, so we're having a youth event tonight. Do you think he would want to come and hang out with us? It's free food, free popcorn, uh, nachos, all that stuff. And he's like, nah, my brother hates church. He really hates God, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. Hey, I got 20 bucks. If you can get your brother to come tonight, I'll give you the $20. Okay? He's like, okay. I'm just telling you, he's probably not going to come. I was like, well, you, you try your best. Trying to make a long story short, this is important. So we fast forward all the way to the evening, and I see Obed. His name, Obed. Starts with O. My name's Omar. I thought it was cool. Obed. And I said, Obed, dude, did your brother come? He's like, yeah. He's like right over there playing soccer. I was like, sweet, dude, you're amazing. So I take off. He's like, hey, can I have my 20 bucks? <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right, here you go. Here's 100. Like, I don't even care about the money. So I, I go to Jair, and, and uh, I'm like, hey, dude, my name's Omar. He's like, yeah, my brother told me about you. I was like, okay, like, uh, man, I'm so glad you came. We're, we're going to be hanging out later, and we got free food and all that. He's like, yeah, I know. I, I just want to play soccer. Cool, bro. See ya. So I let him go, let him, let him go play. And It's 6.55. Revival starts at 7, and, and we're walking towards the doors, and I see Jair put his cap on, and he's walking past the doors. And I said, Jair, dude, hey, hey, we're, we're about to start Revival, like, he said, oh, man, I, I ain't staying for church. Like, I don't, I don't like church. I'm like, well, like, why not? Like, it, like I'm preaching. We, we can hang out. And he's like, no, nah, dude, I, I just want to go home. I said, well, look, all night long, you've been telling me how good you are at basketball, that you're going to whoop my butt and that, uh, or my rear end, sorry, that you're going to whoop me. And, um, and I said, well, I'm, I'm ready to play. After, after revival, we'll go, we'll go play right here. There's a court. I mean, there's a... a a goal and a ball right there. And he said, nah, man, I don't play basketball outside. I'm like, you just got through playing soccer. Like, what are you talking about? And his brother is right there. He's like, nope, he doesn't play basketball outside. He only plays in the school gym. I'm like, Jay, you're a punk, man. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, if you're good, you can play on this court or any court. And I said, all right, Jair, I know that you're being difficult in my head. I'm thinking this. If I can get the keys to the school gym... Will you stay for revival? He said, oh, man, you can't get the keys to the gym. I said, answer my question. If I can get the keys, will you come and stay for revival? All right. You get the keys to the gym, I'll stay. So I go inside, and I'm just praying, like, God, maybe there's a janitor, there's a teacher. Just answer this one question. Raise your hand if you're a teacher or are in part of education, and you have a key to your school. Okay, you're, you're about to answer me this one question. If you have the key to the school and a stranger comes up to you and says, hey, can I have your keys to the school because I'm going to play basketball later? What is the answer? One, two, three. No, right? <laughs> no brainer. And so I'm, I'm praying I'm like, God, this is the divine appointment. You called this kid here. Like there's got to be something. Move in such a way. So I go to the pastor and the pastor, I said, hey, that kid, Jair, remember Obed at lunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he only will stay if we play basketball in the gym. I know it's spring break. I know people are out of town. Uh, but is, is there anybody here that might have a key to the school gym? And he said, Omar, the head basketball coach is sitting right there. No, he's not. Like, that's not him. That's the head basketball coach. So I'm thinking, okay, what you just said, no. The answer is going to be no, right? Like, you're not going to get the keys. So I, I walk up to this guy. I'm like, hey, dude, I don't know you. You don't know me. But there's a kid out here that needs Jesus. And I need your keys to the gym. Like, could I have them? 
He's like, sure, dude, here you go. Like, you have the keys to the gym on you? Like, it's spring break, you have your stuff? He's like, yeah. He said, just, we'll, we'll get together afterwards. So I go outside, I'm like, Jair, bro, I got the keys to the gym. He's like, those aren't the keys, those are your keys. I'm like, the, the basketball coach is sitting right inside, and he's like, no, he's not. I'm like, yeah, he is. Like, these are the keys to the gym. Look, I upheld mine the deal. You need to uphold yours. You said you would stay. Oh, man, like, he was mad. Like, he, his face was red, and he threw his cap off, and he, he just walked in and sat down. I was like, and I go in, and I sit down. We're singing some hymns and some songs, and I'm just smiling. I'm like, God, you did all this. Like, this is so cool. This guy's going to give his life to Jesus. It's going to be an amazing night. Great story to tell later. And so I preach the gospel. I give it everything I have. Talk about Jesus and, and his love for us and sin and forgiveness. And, and we, we end the service, and I'm kind of just sitting there, and um, we begin singing, uh, Jesus paid it all. And, and the first verse comes and goes, and no, no response. Second verse, chorus comes and goes, and no response. Third verse comes and goes, and no response. Worship pastor says, hey, thank y'all for coming. We're going to have punch and cookies and reception for Omar at the back. And, um, and so I'm going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed. And I just, I was like, God, okay, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be upset. You called me here to equip the saints, to encourage the saints. Maybe salvation wasn't to come, but I know some seeds are planted. So God, thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. When I open my eyes, Jair is standing in front of me, and he is bawling. He is, he can't speak, can't breathe. <laughs> And he, he utters the words, Omar, I'm a bad person. Jair, dude, I'm a bad person too. Like, I'm right there with you. Like, I get it. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm a really bad person. And I, I Omar, I just want to be like you. And I said, Jair, I am a broken, gross sinner. You do not want to be like me. You want to be like Jesus. He is the model. He is the one we need to strive for. So we, we just got there on the altar, and we talked for about 30 minutes. I'm trying to make this long story short, I apologize. He surrenders his life to Jesus. The prayer that he prayed, I didn't tell him what to say, was so sincere, was so genuine. God, I'm a broken sinner. I Jesus prayer. I get on the plane, I'm going back, and I'm thinking, God, thank you for saving Jair. Thank you for this testimony. But God, I don't want it to end. Could this multiply? Could, could this one make the difference for somebody else, God? That next Wednesday, the pastor asked me to share a testimony of the trip and the, the revival services. And 15 kids came and gave their life to Jesus that night. And, and I thought, God, this is awesome. I'm, I'm excited. Could this happen again? Like, can this momentum keep going and, and happening? So the next Wednesday, uh, kind of already mapped out our messages for the, the weeks with the students. And, and the Lord said, Omar, I want you to share Jair's testimony, and I want you to share the gospel. But God, I kind of just did that last week, like... You want me to say the same thing again? Like, yeah, I do. 
I have the power to change people's lives. You listen to me, and I'll do the rest. I shared the testimony of Jair. Shared the gospel. Jesus Christ died, buried, rose again, and is alive today. Nine students came that night and gave their life to Jesus. Within the next two weeks, we had over 38 baptisms in just a short time. And it all happened because of one. One person's life was radically transformed and changed by Jesus. Let me ask you, are you on mission? What is your mission? Are you willing to persevere through the obstacles that this life presents itself, whether it's you-driven or world-driven or the, the evil of the darkness kind of tearing us away from the Lord? Are you willing to persevere? Are you, are you expecting God that he can change people? And are you seeing God give you more than you ever bargained for? This morning, I believe there are two people in this place. If you're honest with yourself, you would agree that you are probably one of the four. You're a believer in Jesus. You've pledged your life to him. You've given your all to him. And you're hungry to meet the needs of those who are around you, but you really aren't doing it. <laughs> Just be honest. You be honest with yourself. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I don't know your life. But you would identify with the four that you know the power of God. You know that he can transform people, but you are failing in your efforts to bring and lead people to the foot and to the feet of Jesus. Believer in Jesus, but maybe lacking in passion and expecting God to do amazing things. Or this morning, you might be the paralytic. He may be on your mat. You know that you are hurting, you know that you are broken, and you are in desperate need of a healing from the Lord. But because of pride, but because of whatever this world is throwing at you, you are neglecting to surrender your life to him. Because of the obedience of the four and the radical transformation of the one, you see, at the end of that passage, it said that they were all amazed Heaven rejoices when one gives their life to Jesus. Angels rejoice. There's a celebration when salvation comes. How many people are you leading to Jesus? And this morning, we're not even asking you to go for 100 or 250. We're asking you to go for just one. Out here at the welcome desk and at this welcome desk, there's little cards that just say, who's you're one. There's a space right here that you can write someone's name down. Maybe God has been impressing on your heart someone that you know that you need to be praying for. And on the back, it's, it's giving you instruction on how you can go about that. My wife praying for the one. Salvation came to the one. Praying for Jair. Salvation came to this one, and it multiplied. Can you imagine what our church would look like as if we were all faithful with one? We could have 800 people here within a year. And not just church growth, kingdom growth. Because you're discipling and loving on them and leading them to follow Jesus day in and day out. Living a life of worship. So the invitation is this. If you need to repent, tell God that you're sorry. 
you're already a believer in Jesus, that you want to pledge to him this day forward, I'm going to do my best to be expectant, to believe that God has the power to change people's life, and that you just need to tell God, I'm sorry, but I'm going to try my best from this day forward to change. You have the, the altar here to pray, to give that to the Lord. But maybe you're the paralyzed, and you realize now that your sin is keeping you from a right relationship with God. Completely separated. If you feel like the Lord is calling you to step out and to pledge your allegiance to him, you have that chance. We'll have pastors up here. We'd be happy to talk to you about the power and the goodness of the Lord. And if you're worried about what others might think, let me tell you this. When you face the judge on judgment day, Nobody in this room is going to be able to fight for you. No one in here is going to be able to help you. So if someone in this room is preventing you from coming to Jesus, you better think again, because they will not help. Scripture says to deny my father before men. I will deny you before my father. And that's a scary place to be. If you need to pledge your life to Jesus and you want to give everything. You have the chance to do that. Come talk to me. Come talk to David. Come talk to Pastor Mike. We're here. But you be led by the Spirit and you follow His leading. God, we pause for just a moment and we say thank you for your Spirit, your power, your anointing. I thank you for testimonies and not just mine, God. Everyone here I know has a testimony of one that they have pledged to, the one that they have been praying for. God, I pray that today more people would be bathed in prayer. More people would be sought after. More people would hear the power of the gospel. Jesus, you made it very clear in this passage that evangelism, when you said your sins are forgiven, evangelism is of utmost importance. But God, you also met the need of this man, and that's missions. You met the need of this man. Missions and evangelism are part of your DNA, part of your heart. God, I pray that that would bleed into ours. That we would be evangelical, that we would be missional every single day of our life. God, for those that need to respond, for those that need to pledge their allegiance to you, God, I'm expecting that your spirit's going to move. And that salvation will come even today. And the only reason we can talk to you, the only reason we can even communicate and be close to you is because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.